Hello again. Welcome to Tell Me. Today I'm sitting down with Radio Hall of Famer Charlemagne the God. I'm a huge fan of The Breakfast Club, which is Charlemagne's radio show. He also has a new show on Comedy Central called The God's Honest Truth, a podcast called Brilliant Idiots. He's written a couple of books. I love Charlemagne. I love his view on things. I love to hear his opinion on things. He's always got a lot of wisdom. He comes with a lot of love. His evolution is a very interesting one to me. And so I was excited today to sit down with him and talk about just that. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Leonard. Yo, what's up, Ellen? How you doing? I am blessed, black, and highly favored. How are you? <laughs> I am so good. I am so good. I'm so happy to meet you. Same, same. Even if it's virtually. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Do you film your shows in Atlanta? No, I'm based out of New York, but I'm actually in my home studio in New Jersey right now. Oh, you are? Yep. Nice. But you have to go do the morning show at a place. Depends. I didn't this morning. This morning, I did it from home because we didn't have no guests come in. So I did it from home. And I literally just got back from Turks and Caicos on Wednesday because my wife turned 40 on Monday. So we was in Turks since last week. And I had to take my TV show yesterday. And I just honestly, I just wasn't uh, ready to get up at 420 in the morning to go into the studio to do the radio show. Yeah, I understand. I feel like we both have kind of iconic shows. Breakfast Club is basically iconic status at this point. Wow. I love Turks, too. Did you just go solo or you brought your kids? Oh, no. It was me, my wife, all our kids, her parents. And then I surprised her by having all her friends from college and friends that we have together, they all surprised her in Turks. So we went to dinner Friday night and, you know, she didn't know everybody was going to be there. So it was so funny because we walked in the restaurant and she had turned around to make sure her parents were getting out the car. And then everybody was singing happy birthday, but she didn't realize they were singing to her. (laughs) (laughs) So it was fun. You have four daughters. Four, yep. What are their ages? 13, 6, 3, and 9 weeks. Wow, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. You see, you're younger than me, so you're in it even more. Mine are 12, 7, and 5. Wow. Yeah. Those are good ages. They are. They are good ages. have to be very creative. Absolutely. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. So how is your show, The God's Honest Truth, how is that going? Are you having fun? That's fairly new, right, on Comedy Central? Yeah, this is our 10th week, 10th week, 10th episode, or 11th episode. I, I don't even remember right now, but I love it. The reason I love it is because it's absolutely positively me. And, you know, I'm showing up in the world now at 43 years old as a more healed I don't want to say whole, because I feel like, I don't know if you ever get to a place of wholeness, you know, but I'm a more healed, close to whole version of myself, you know, being a father, being a husband now. And honestly, I'm not afraid to show up as myself. I'm not afraid to show up as Leonard McKelvey, as opposed to the character Charlemagne the God, which you don't even think is a character when you're younger, but you realize as you get older, You've created this character that sort of like protects the world from Leonard because Leonard hasn't dealt with 
his traumas and Lenard hasn't done the work on himself the way that, you know, I do now. And so now that I'm comfortable showing up as me, this is the first project I've done that I feel like is is truly, 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 truly me. I love that. So first of all, I have to apologize because I've been pronouncing your name wrong. I've been pronouncing it Leonard. I'm really <laughs> sorry. You just said Lenard. You make it sound so fancy in French. Lenard. So Lenard. <laughs> Lenard. That's actually a running <laughs> joke because people do pronounce it wrong. And when I was younger in elementary school, that's the reason I always went by my middle name because my father's name was Larry. So people would be having such a hard time pronouncing Lenard. I'd be like, man, just call me Larry. <laughs> right. So how I became aware of you outside of The Breakfast Club, I've listened to that show for a long time. It's a great show for anyone who hasn't listened to it. Thank you. But I really became aware of like, let's say, Lenard through your Instagram, right? Because your Instagram is where you're on this journey of mental health and evolution, as I like to call it. The word mental health is very important and your work in the space is important. Thank you. But I also, I like to say your evolution. And that's really what you just described. And that's what I admire about you so much is your evolution in putting your evolution on a stage for everybody to see and experience and go through with you. I find that very interesting. Your Instagram, every once in a while, you'll just come out with a quote that just really hits to the heart of how you're feeling. Wow. Yeah, you know, so interested about that. I don't think I had a choice, meaning that, you know, when you're talking to people every day, millions of people every day, it's kind of hard to be a transparent, vulnerable person, which a lot of people feel that I am, and not talk about what it is that you're going through. So it's like when I started going to therapy in 2016, I really started going to therapy because I was really, 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 really feeling like I was losing myself. Like I was really out here living that radio star life. And it was driving me crazy that I was trying so hard not to be like my father, but I was becoming just like my father. And like my whole life, I always dealt with, you know, panic attacks and bouts of depression. But, you know, one thing about anxiety when you know you're doing something you don't have no business doing, that does not make your anxiety better. <laughs> so when I was living the life that I was living, you know, cheating on my wife 100 miles per hour and not being home the way that I needed to be, it was really causing me to have these more severe panic attacks. And I would literally look in the mirror and I would see my father and I love my father. My father was a good man who was doing the best that he could with what he had, but he wasn't a great husband. And I saw how that ruined my family. I saw how that impacted all of the kids and everything. And I didn't want to be that. So I had to go out here and do the work on myself just because I ultimately didn't know where it would end if I didn't. You know, I don't see anybody doing it as publicly as you. And I know you're touching people. I know you're reaching people. I know you are. So I hope you feel the impact of that. Because it's one thing to go on the journey by yourself. You could not talk about it. You're making a choice to be public about it, making a choice to share the wisdom, the knowledge, the evolution. And that is a choice that you should get credit for. When I was growing up, my best friend that I grew up with, she suffered from severe anxiety her whole life. So I have experience with panic attacks and anxiety, and it's no joke. It's very real. And back then, when we were in high school in the 80s, her doctor had diagnosed her with panic attacks. No one had ever heard of panic attacks. That's right. No one was talking about it. And everybody was telling her, you know, you're crazy. You're making it up. No one has ever heard of it before. So panic attack and panic disorder has come a long way. The other thing that you make me think of when you talk about your dad is there's this amazing book by a woman called Winifred Gallagher 
called Just the Way You Are. Mm. Have you heard of that book? No, but I'm definitely going to order it now. It's a great book. It's a really fast read. It's about nature versus nurture and how much of your personality is DNA and how much is your environment. And I won't give the whole book away, but basically it's a little bit of both, right? And you're breaking the cycle and you're showing up for your kids in a different way than what was shown to you. If we're breaking the cycle and doing the work to break the cycle, then, you know, we have to pat ourselves on the back for that. And it's hard. You know, it's hard because when you talk about nature versus nurture, you know, I've heard it in nature versus nurture theory, and I agree with it. But it's something that you think is natural, you think are normal that aren't. Like, I remember I've always liked having one girlfriend. I've been with the same woman for 23 years, you know what I mean, since high school. But it's like, I remember confronting my father about cheating on my mom. And he literally looked me in my eyes and said, oh, so you only got one girlfriend. He said, when you get older, you'll understand. So think about what that does to the psyche of a young teenage man. I don't feel like a man, quote unquote, because I only got one woman. Because my pops is looking at me like I'm crazy because I only got one woman. And so it's like, you know, sometimes we have these, these wounded egos. And I always say that like a wounded ego is like trying to pour water into a cup that has a hole in the bottom. Like you can pour all the water you want to in that cup, but none of the water will ever stay in the cup. And that's what a wounded ego is. So we always try to fill these wounded egos with a bunch of things that just truly don't matter. <laughs> at the end of the day. And they're all so superficial. And we really just do it, you know, for our egos. And it's just like, man, I got to the point as I got older, I don't want to do anything to feed my ego. Everything I want to do is to feed my soul. That's it. Yeah. And then what your dad's dad showed him, right? It's a chain, a long, long chain of just, you know, what he saw and what grandpa saw, you know, so that's why breaking the cycle is so important. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. There's another book. My sister's like very, very smart, way smarter than me. And she sent me this like giant copy of this book once. It wasn't like a real book. She printed it out. And it was some Harvard professor wrote this book. I think the ego is the id or something. It was this like giant manifesto about ego. Mm -hmm. It was very, very deep stuff, very philosophical, kind of too intense for me or too deep for me. My concentration isn't always there to read 600 pages, but I did glance through it. And it really was my first introduction to really examining the word ego and the manifestations of ego in our behavior. And a lot of ego and behavior is kind of there as a defense mechanism. Also, like right. there's a biological component, which this is kind of like why I love playing a doctor. It's really fun because 
medicine and science is so interesting to me and specifically like neurology or the brain sciences is really unbelievable. I mean, so when we do brain surgeries on the show, and I've said this before, the heart is a muscle. It's very thick and hard and it looks like a leg muscle, but the brain is almost softer than jello. It's almost like water but it controls everything. The brain is just so complex and so much of our behavior is connected biologically to like us protecting ourselves and we're not even aware of what we're doing. So one thing about you that is pretty obvious to me is the ability to constantly forgive and constantly go with love and constantly say, good luck and God bless, love to you no matter what hate is coming at me. That's an enlightened person. Obviously, like you said at the top of this, we're never fully through our journey. Hopefully, we're never through our journey. That's right. But you're over one big hurdle, being able to do that. Oh, yeah. I just got to that point just because, you know, like I said, doing the work on myself. I read a great book called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. It's actually a way quicker read than 600 pages. Okay. What's it called? <laughs> Say it again. Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Love it. Great title. I think sometimes we have to let go of our need to feel right. And also, when we're in those, let's say, debates or you're having a difference of opinion with another person, a lot of times you got to make sure you're not projecting onto people. Because sometimes I might be arguing something that I really think I'm arguing in this moment, but I'm actually arguing the way you're making me feel because this feeling is something that I felt when I was a child and I didn't like it. You know what I mean? This takes me back to 10th grade or 6th grade when I was the kid who was, especially 6th grade, when I was the kid who was getting bullied because I wasn't like my cousins. Meaning like I was in the classroom, they used to call them advanced classes. So they would separate us A class, B class, C class, D class. And if you were in like A, I think or C, ironically, those were the advanced classes. So I was in A class and there was literally only like three black kids in the class. And so I would be hanging with all the white kids and I had glasses and a fanny pack and everything else. And like all my cousins who used to know my dad, they would literally just beat me up because I was hanging with all the white kids. Like, man, you hang with all the white kids, you a nerd, you this, you that. And it's like, man, I didn't feel accepted. And it got to a point where the white kids didn't want to be around me no more. And so I was like, man, if you can't beat them, join them. So I just started hanging out with all my cousins. That's when I started getting in trouble and doing everything else. So it's like, for me, it feels like if I'm in an argument with somebody now, I still feel like that little kid in sixth grade who's being challenged on not, you know, being what somebody else wants me to be. And sometimes that led me throughout my whole life to be like a people pleaser or to be somebody who would compromise themselves in order to make others happy. And like, I'm really at a point in my life where I refuse to feel that feeling anymore. And that's how I've been historically in a lot of my adult life. So that's where a lot of the, the harsh pushback from me <laughs> would come from. You know what I mean? Like when I would lash out at people or like really speak my mind or like really want to be right about whatever it is that we're talking, it was just my need to not relinquish what I felt like was me, so to speak. And now I'm at the point where I just don't even care. Like, I just send you healing energy because I'm so comfortable with who I am. I don't have to defend who I am. And if I said something to you that, you know, you may not have liked, I'd much rather apologize than sit around and go back and forth and attempt to be right. I think that's really important stuff you just said there. I think women, too, 
I certainly am a people pleaser. I don't want to say was a recovering people pleaser because I'm learning every day. I used to say sorry all the time also. Sorry, sorry. And I was doing a film with somebody once and someone said to me, why do you keep saying sorry? You didn't even do anything. Stop apologizing. And that had like never occurred to me <laughs> that I said sorry all the time. I didn't even recognize that I did it. But I'm working on that myself, just stopping saying I'm sorry and stopping the people pleasing. And I think it's a little different, possibly, for women who are unapologetic, you know, to get labeled as, I don't know, maybe you feel like you get labeled too. But I think women definitely who are unapologetic and just speak their mind. I read something yesterday. I'm going to do a auction off a conversation with myself for this charity that I'm involved with. And I read the description and it was like, oh, the auction is you get to have an hour Zoom with Ellen Pompeo. And Ellen is known for being outspoken. And when my assistant put it in front of me and she said, are you okay with this? You know, this is going to be the press release or whatever. And I said, I looked at it quick and I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then this morning when I was getting ready to talk to you, I was thinking about you and thinking about, you know, evolution of ourselves. And I thought, I don't actually like that label. She's outspoken. Why am I outspoken? Because people aren't used to listening to women say what they think or be authentic or be truthful. Mm -hmm. So now I get a label as being outspoken. And it's like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's interesting. I get labeled outspoken as well. I don't personally like the label because I think that's what leads me to be the caricature of myself. Because I don't know if Lennard is as outspoken as Charlemagne. In fact, I know he's not. Like, I actually like to sit back and observe. And if I can be a fly on the wall, I'd much rather be a fly on the wall. I tell younger kids all the time, that's where I've gotten to where I've gotten to. By knowing when to be in a room and just kind of like shut up and observe. And, you know, people trust you like that. And you'll find yourself in a lot of different rooms and a lot of different spaces that you may not necessarily have the qualifications to be in. But these people literally just trust you being there and they know that you won't get in the way and they know if they need you for something, you are there for it. I have conversations with folks from the younger generation and one of the biggest things that I always say is you talk too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're really the outspoken ones. Like I always try to be the adult that I needed as a child. So the good things I feel like happened to me in my life, I want to do for the next generation. So yeah, hey, I know you want to be in this field or whatever. I'm going to this meeting. You can sit in on this meeting with me. I've had this happen. Person's just supposed to be sitting there. I don't know what makes these kids think that they are supposed to be part of the meeting. Like, do you know what I had to do to get to this table? You know the grind I had to put in? So why can't you just sit here and be a fly on the wall? And then when you have that conversation with them, they think you're hating. You know what I mean? Or they think you're trying to stifle them in some way. This is not your meeting. I brought you here to observe the same way that when I was your age, I sat in meetings and observed and listened and offered nothing. <laughs> if I was spoken to, then I spoke. Or if somebody asked me a question, then I replied. But other than that, no. So yeah, the outspoken label, that's also strange too, because I do radio every day. And <laughs> I've been doing a podcast for eight years. So what do you mean I'm, I, I talk for four hours a day for a living? What else am I supposed to do other than speak? So I don't, I don't even know if that should be considered outspoken, but I totally get why you don't embrace that label. Yeah. Also, it's like the journey is when you're young, 
sit back and listen and just observe like you're saying. And then when you get to a certain point, I'm 52. So I feel like I know a thing or two now that I definitely didn't know back then. I've been in enough rooms. I've had the grace to be quiet in those rooms, same as you. And now I feel a little bit more comfortable speaking. And I feel like 50 was really that level for me. It was 40 for me. 40, I literally felt myself go through this like portal in life. I started going to therapy when I was maybe 36, 37. And so for whatever reason, I just remember on my 40th born day, I just remember being on an island that I love called Anguilla. And my wife had all of my friends do this video where they was just talking about me. And man, I just bawled. I just cried so hard. I mean, just bawled. And I hadn't cried. I could not remember the last time I had actually cried. I don't even know if I had cried in therapy yet. But I just bawled. And it's like, I felt myself walk through this portal where I knew, number one, I was absolutely positively living the way I know God wanted me to live. And number two, whatever happens from here on out in my life is destined to happen. It's not because of a poor choice I made. When they say destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. I knew that I had made all the right choices up until that point that the rest of my life, if I just stay on that path, I was going to be perfectly, perfectly fine. And I could speak, you know, from the level of experience that we're talking about because that's all I have is my experiences. I've never claimed to be an expert at anything. I have experiences and I can share my experiences unapologetically and I can tell you my journey unapologetically. I can tell you what I'm doing now to continue to get to this place of wholeness that I'm striving to get to. And I guess that's what makes us sound like experts at this point. Ellen, but it's really just experience. Right. That's what it is. It's experience. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
What's the hip hop song? Isn't there a hip hop song? You talk too much. You never shut up. Oh, what song uh, is that? You talk too much. And you never, you never shut, shut up. up. You talk too <laughs> much. Damn, who is that? Is that the Fat Boys? You talk too much. No, that's Run DMC. Run I'm DMC, bugging. right? Run okay, DMC. okay, okay, okay. Yeah. We need to play that at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the beginning of this intro. <sighs> Yeah, it's definitely, it's experiences. It's exactly what you said. Yeah, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I wouldn't trade anything that I've ever been through in my life. Because what you also realize as you get older, man, everything played a part. Every single thing. Like when I'm sitting in therapy sometimes, there's things that I say in therapy and things that I'm going through now that I can directly correlate to something that happened to me in my childhood. Every single thing. Every single thing that, I've gone through in my adult life has been because I was that scared little boy in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, who just didn't want to get bullied, who was willing to do anything and say anything just to please whatever group of people I was with at that time. And that's literally things that have, you know, followed me into my adult life. And it's just like I'm finally at the point right now where I am 100 percent. I'm lying again. I'm about to say I'm 100 percent comfortable being Lenard. I am 100% comfortable being Lenard. I'm just not 100% sure how people receive Lenard. But should I care? When we're performers, because we are performers, right? We're still trying to entertain people. So it's just like, well, people like the character of Lenard. I know the character of Charlemagne works. We did that already. You know what I mean? <laughs> but would they like Lenard, the father, the husband, who does like to walk around barefoot in his backyard to ground himself, who does like to hug trees, who does do things like goes to get energy work on himself, who does go to Mexico and do fire ceremonies, who does go to therapy every week. It's, are they going to like that version of me? I don't know, but we're on that journey now, so we'll see. I really identify with what you just said because I feel the same. I'm, you know, been an actor my whole life and everybody knows the character of Meredith Grey and everybody's comfortable with the character of Meredith Grey. And a lot of people like her, not everybody. A lot of people love her. A lot of people have been inspired by her. But doing the podcast was something that I started during quarantine. And it was really hard for me to show up as myself, mm. especially knowing as here I go with the label, as outspoken as people think I am. I try to show up as myself. I try to be authentic. And like you just said, I said, is this a good idea? Is me with a microphone a good idea? Because people see me one way or they think they know me as one way, but they don't really know me. And are they going to be okay with hearing who I really am? Because I'm only going to show up as myself. Mm. I'm not going to play a character doing a podcast. I can't do that. And can I be authentically myself and have people accept me and like me? And do I care if they accept me and like me? And I have a choice. I don't need to do this. Why do I want to do this? You know, I wanted to do something different for sure and show up out of my comfort zone which I'm always in my comfort zone on our show. So that was part of the reason why I decided to do it. I thought, well, it scares the shit out of me. I should do it. Here I am. I think those are the best moments. The best moments are when you feel uncomfortable. That's why it's been so... Man, I remember when I put out my second book. My first book I put out in 2016. And it was an instant New York Times bestseller called Black Privilege. And it literally was just me telling the story of my life and eight lessons that I had learned in my life up until that point. And people love that book. But for me, when I wrote my second book, man, I didn't want to write a book, number one. My book publisher was telling me I should. And I was like, I just gave y'all my life up until this point. 
I don't know what else I could write about. And at the time, I had just started therapy. So I was keeping a, a journal of everything that I was learning in therapy. And at the time, Ellen, I had nothing in me because I was going to therapy for my anxiety and my bouts of depression. But then, you know, when you start peeling back those layers in therapy, oh my God, you start getting to these raw places and you start dealing with this trauma that you didn't even know you had. And I started to hate my pops, you know what I mean? <laughs> because of therapy. And so it's like, I was really in a confused state because everything I thought I knew, I realized I didn't know nothing, like nothing at all. And so I put that in a book. Like I literally started having those conversations in a book. That's what started me having those conversations of speaking out about my mental health publicly. And, um, a good brother I know named Dr. Ish Major, you know, he gave the clinical correlations to what I was talking about in the book. By the way, I still have not read that book other than the first time, like when we wrote it. And then, you know, me and my guy Chris Moreau put it together. I read it that one time and then read it for my audio version. It's just too hard. It's too hard to read. But I'm saying all that to say when I put that book into the atmosphere, you got to go out and you got to promote the book. And what I realized was I'm not ready to have these conversations. <laughs> like, like, I'm not ready to have these conversations that I'm having in therapy on Dr. Phil's show or on Dr. Oz's show or whoever. But only thing I did was go out there and just tell my truth at the time. And I would walk away saying, man, I sucked. I sounded confused. I don't even know why I'm having these conversations because I really don't even know what it is I'm going through, what I'm dealing with. But a strange thing happened. I was connecting with people in a different way because they felt the same way. That same confused, trying to figure things out, dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety, just trying to work through it, going to therapy for it. I had so many people start coming to me saying, man, I go to therapy too. Oh man, I deal with anxiety too. Man, I deal with bouts of depression. I started going to therapy because of you. I started doing this because of you. And so it's just like, you started to realize that it's not about you. It's bigger than you. Like what you decided to do in COVID with your podcast is bigger than you. Me talking about my journey with mental health is bigger than me. It doesn't matter how it personally makes us feel. <laughs> you know what I mean? To me, that's, that's ego. When you're doing things because you want to know what the reward is for you as an individual, to me, that's feeding your ego. So when I talk about pouring into people, man, it's a reason they say you can't pour into people if you don't have anything in you. At the time, I felt so drained and I felt so empty. And it's because I was pouring so much out in therapy. So I just started to share with people what I was pouring out in therapy. And that essentially started pouring in to others. And that's why I'm sitting here having this conversation literally with you right now, because I decided that it's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about how I personally feel. This is a journey that God put me on and God wants me to share that journey and share that story with others because it's absolutely bigger than me. Another quick story. I remember Taraji P. Henson and Tracy Jade. I love those women. They were two of the few celebrities who were actually talking about, you know, their mental health openly. And Taraji started inviting me to speak with her at a lot of different events and functions. And I remember somebody introduced me as a mental health advocate talking about labels. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not a mental health advocate. And Taraji said, yes, you are. Taraji and Tracy said, brother, whether you want to be or not, yes, you are. And I was just like, I fought it for a while, but I was like, you know what? No, this is what I want to embrace. This is my life's work. This is what I want to do with my life. If I spend the rest of my life helping other people heal, especially black men, that's it for me. I did what I'm supposed to do. Because if I help black men heal the way that we're supposed to, then we're going to show up for our women the way we should. 
We're going to show up for our sisters the way we should and our mothers and our wives and our girlfriends and our daughters. So to me, that is what I want my life's work to be. I think there's such a need for it. And I can't help but think of the women in your life. You know, your wife forgiving you, Taraji and Tracy telling you, you are a mental health advocate. It's like you're surrounded by this incredible female energy that lifted you up. And that, you know, really makes me happy. Have you ever heard of something called trap medicine? Yeah, I feel like I have, but trap medicine could be either way. Because, you know, trap means something else in my community. So I don't know. what. <laughs> right. Well, trap medicine is something that a bunch of friends of mine, a group of black male doctors, they founded something called trap medicine, which is they go into barbershops and they sort of encourage black men to have discussions about mental health. And I would love to introduce you to them because I think you all have the same goal in mind and the same mission. And these are incredibly smart, thoughtful doctors. They're amazing. And you could probably help them with their mission. And I think you all together are on the same vibration and could help a lot of men. I would love to get to know them. I feel like I've seen that before, but I would love to get to know them. I started uh, last year doing something called the Mental Wealth Expo. And um, I did it on 1010, World Mental Health Day here in New York. And I bring together all of those individuals like that, you know, brothers like Trap Medicine. I would love to have them at the next one, just because that's all I do. I bring together all of these mindfulness experts and therapists and psychiatrists and sacred purpose coaches and people that are just in that space. And man, it was just a beautiful day of mental health education and healing. And just to sit back and watch all of these people sit around for all of these different panels and all of these different groups. And we had breakout rooms for like people to go try yoga and meditation and different things like that. So I would love to have them at the next one. It would be great. I'm very mindful of all of this. You know, I have a son. He's five years old. And I'm really mindful of trying to raise him in the right way. And, you know, a couple of times I'll catch my husband telling him, you know, not to cry. And he knows me now. So he'll look up and he'll say, OK, you know, you cry if you have a boo boo or if you're hurt, because I'm like, don't tell him not to cry. He can cry. It's OK. And so I know for men, it's hard to talk about your feelings for a lot of women, too. It's hard to talk about your feelings and be emotional and vulnerable. It's a journey. And so any help that men can get any examples of men doing the work out in the world is definitely making a dent and making a difference. Two things I want to say real quick. Number one, telling a man not to cry is like the worst advice you can ever give a man. Yeah. You know, there's a book by a great brother. His name is Jason Wilson. The book called Cry Like a Man. And what you're telling a man when you're telling a man not to cry, you're really telling a man to suppress his feelings. You're telling a man to suppress his emotions. You're telling a man that there's absolutely positively no way to ever work through your feelings because you're not supposed to have feelings. Like literally, and you don't even realize you're creating a generation of sociopaths. Like if you're telling humans not to feel, then that means that we grow up to be cold and callous. You know what I mean? And it's still something that you work through, you know, because even having four daughters, there's a way I have to talk to each and every one of them. It's a way that I have to talk to my wife. It's a way that I have to talk to the women around me that I work with. And by the way, vice versa, because I'm tender as hell, right? I'm vulnerable as hell. So it's like certain things that I'll hear and I'll take personal and internalize. But what I love about the world that at least I've created for myself is everybody has to be on a wave of mindfulness. Meaning that whatever you're feeling, you have to express. 
We have to express it in that moment. I don't care if you think you're overreacting. I don't care if you think you're going to come off as quote unquote crazy. Just express it. And that goes for everybody, men, women. If you're in the workplace and things are getting overwhelming and you need to go in your office and meditate for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, please go do that. You know, one of the greatest joys of my life was last year during the pandemic when my daughter, she came to me and my wife and she was in tears and she was like shaking. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, I'm overwhelmed. She said, I'm overwhelmed. I didn't have that language when I was 12. I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm overwhelmed. She said, I got to do Zoom. And we're still trying to do cheerleading virtually. And all of this other stuff that she was doing as a seventh grader virtually. And her grades had slipped. You know, she's used to straight A's and everything else. I gave her a hug. I said, baby, I don't care. <laughs> this is an unprecedented time, okay? I couldn't imagine being in seventh grade virtually learning via Zoom. I don't care if your grades slip. You know, I can understand why things are stressful for you right now. I don't think that your feelings are not valid. These are absolute positive, valid feelings. Now, if that had happened to me, and I don't went to my pops with that in seventh grade, he probably would have punched me in the chest, told me, man, up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So that's the difference of telling somebody not to deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with, feel whatever it is that they're feeling, and telling them to suppress it. So, yes, men, it is okay to cry. It is okay to express your feelings. It is okay to tell people exactly what's going on with you internally. I don't know who told us men that we're not allowed to have bad days. I don't know who told women they're not allowed to have bad days. Even that whole angry, you know, they like to say, oh, black women are angry when they speak up for themselves or when they, you know, know who they are. I'm like, you have every right to be angry. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be angry? Look at this world. Yeah. James Baldwin said that to be truly conscious in America will have you in a constant fit of rage about what's happening in this country. I'm paraphrasing here. That's not the exact quote. Yeah, no, if you're not mad, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. Exactly. That's all it is. All of these labels that we put on people, have you ever stopped to think, well, why is that person angry? Right. Probably a very valid reason. For sure, <laughs> for sure. Know? And it goes back to what you were saying about coping mechanisms or not showing emotion or men not showing emotion. There comes the biology, right? It comes right back to our biology in our brain, creating a defense mechanism. I always try to be mindful of why people respond the way they do or why they're behaving the way they do. You know, it's a reaction to something to survive, you know? 100%. And projecting is a thing too, you know? So like I said, sometimes people say things to you, and I don't like to use the word triggering no more. I like to use the word activated. My man, Resma Minicum, he wrote this phenomenal book called My Grandmother's Hands. It's been on the New York Times bestsellers list for like 100 weeks or something crazy like that. But he always says, don't say triggered, say activated. Because ah. sometimes you hear things or feel things or see things that activate something in you. It's such a more positive. Yeah. Phonetically, it's more positive. Activate. I love that. Thank you. I love it. Triggering, I think, puts you on the defensive. When somebody triggers you, then you automatically, it's like fight or flight almost. Your body registers them as an enemy. But activated just means like, whoa, wait a minute. You're bringing something up in me that I'm fully aware of. And it may not be you. It's me, an internal issue that I haven't dealt with. So let me not project any pain onto you because you activated me. You know what I mean? I always want to make sure I'm not just projecting old wounds and old pain onto people. Because they have no idea that, you know, those things activate me. And it's good, right? Because it really helps in the workplace. Like, it's things that I'll hear and immediately I might snap a little bit like, no, I'm not doing it. And then when I sit down, I take a deep breath and I'm able to explain like, 
hey, hearing that activated this in me and brought me back to this place, you know, or activating a feeling in me that I'm all too familiar with and I'm not trying to feel at this moment. So it really has nothing to do with this particular situation. This is why I reacted in that way. And I'm telling you, it really helps for conversations, not just in the workplace, but in your personal life as well. For sure. And workplace situations are definitely challenging, especially where there's a lot of people around all the time. You know, and sometimes if another woman is experiencing something and that would activate something in me, when I was going through something, no one ever stood up for me in this particular situation. So I immediately want to stand up for someone else and say, you know, this shouldn't be happening. And even it has nothing to do with me. I would feel the obligation and the responsibility to stand up for another woman. And then I had to learn the hard way that not everybody wants you to speak up for them. Mm. You know, whatever that is, whatever that activates for someone else, me thinking I'm doing something good and I'm doing what I should be, which is standing up for a coworker, isn't necessarily always received in the right way. And that's another challenging dynamic I've had to sort of navigate and learn lesson the hard way is can't always advocate for other people. They don't always want you to. Yeah, I don't know if I'm necessarily advocating for individuals as much as I am for ideologies a lot of the time. Like that situation just happened to me in the past like 10 days. Like, you know, there was something being said in the workplace. And at first I was upset about what was said about me. Like I heard the whole story and I was like, I can't possibly be this upset about what was said about me because there was really nothing valid said about me. And then I had to sit back and think, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that this person is bullying this person. Because that's literally what it was. It was like a male-woman dynamic. And it's like, you would never talk to me like that. That's why you went to vent to her. But he may not see it as bullying, but what he did was bullying. And that's what really activated me. Because it's not about sticking up for that individual, even though the person is somebody I love dearly. It's about getting rid of the ideology that you, as a man, can do this to a woman. And you would never do this to any other man in this building. So when I'm going at that person, I'm not going at the individual. I'm going at the ideology. Why? Because I don't want my homegirls to have to deal with that. I don't want my daughters to have to deal with that in the future. I don't want any woman to have to deal with that in the future. So we have to nip those ideologies in the bud as opposed to saying, you know what? I'm standing up for said individual. Like, yes, it's good to stand up for people, but sometimes, I mean, I am standing up for you. Let's not get it twisted, but I'm standing up for this ideology. I'm standing up for this bad behavior, (laughs) you know, this ignorant way that this person is doing things. That's what I'm nipping in the butt. I like that because you can apply that a lot to, you know, just the state of the world right now with everybody attacking everybody else. We should be focusing on the ideology, not the actual people. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. In some instances, it's the people. Because sometimes those people are an exact poster child for the ideology we're trying to get rid of. And we don't want that behavior to be mimicked. So I understand making the individual a target. But even when you're doing that, you have to still say it's because of the ideology that this person is, you know, pushing. When we talk about even, you know, the 45th president, it wasn't just that. It was an ideology. It was a way of life that he that he was I'm not even saying bring it back because it never left, but he activated it new and old. 
And so it was like, yo, we got to attack that whole ideology. Because, I mean, as we see, even with him not being there, the ideology still exists. It does. Probably worse now. That fear and anger are not a high vibration. It's not a productive vibration. Love is really only vibration that moves us forward and takes us up. Everything else will just eat at you personally, and it's not productive. I talk about that when it comes to, like, violence, you know, especially violence in our communities, right? The Black community. A lot of times, these brothers, these sisters, they just literally are seeking love. They're seeking a sense of self-worth that they've never had. And sometimes, man, people will kill you because of how other people love you. And if you've never experienced the kind of love that you feel like these other people get, that can make you very vindictive. That can make you very jealous. That can make you very envious. There's certain things I see people do to other people, and I don't just dismiss them. I go, that person is hurting. That person has so much trauma that they haven't dealt with. Like, that person is really going through it because there's no way he would do that or she would do that if they weren't going through something. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, throw the person in jail or give the person the death penalty. Hey, man, everybody got to deal with the consequences of their actions. So I get it. But man, sometimes we failed those individuals because these people might have been crying out for help since they were kids. There might have been so many red flags since they were kids. But who picked up those individuals and poured into them and let them know that they were loved and they were valued and they were appreciated? When you do that to somebody, when somebody feels that, it's very, 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 very hard for them to hurt somebody else. I truly believe that. I truly believe hurt people hurt people. And I truly believe there's so many people that are just projecting pain onto others because of something that they lack in their life. And it's usually just that love. It's that appreciation. It's that sense that they're value. That goes a long way. I'm going to leave it right there because I can't top that. Leonard, Charlemagne, I love you, man. Ellen, I love you more. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I'm sending love and positive energy and healing energy to you and your family. Thank you very much. I'm sending it right back. Thank you, Ellen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 